This is the EWN Podcast Network. Welcome to Change, Redefining Success, the podcast designed to inspire you and give you actionable information to enhance, up-level, reimagine, and reinvent your life and your livelihood. No matter where you started, where you are now, or where you've been, you too can lead an authentic, first-class life. Each week, new stories of turning points and transformation will help you define what success means to you so you can live your best life on your terms. Now here's your host, first-class life mentor and certified Profiting From Your Passions coach, Kate Bessler. Welcome to Change Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today my guest is Ro Couture DeSaro. Ro's business was next to the World Trade Center in New York City, and she was there the day the planes flew into the buildings, which ultimately collapsed in the worst terrorist attack on U.S. soil. She learned a lot about herself that day, but it wasn't until years later that she really understood that and allowed herself to redefine what success meant to her and what direction she wanted her life to take. She ultimately became a coach, and with her business, Gutsy Gals Get More, she teaches women how to go deep into self-discovery for their own life transformation without having to experience such a traumatic event and to become a gutsy gal with heart, a strong, powerful woman building your business in your own unique brilliance. Welcome, Ro. Well, hi, Kate. It's so happy to be here. Um, Thank you for having me today. Oh, my pleasure. Let's begin before that day in 2001. Tell me about your career. What inspired you to work on Wall Street? And what was that like at the turn of the century? Doesn't it sound weird to say that? <laughs> <laughs> Actually, I started working on Wall Street in 1980. Mm. So it was actually before the turn of the century. <laughs> <laughs> I uh, I started working, like I said, I started working um, in 1980 because I grew up in an area that all the all the men were becoming commodity brokers and they were making a lot of money. And I was like, I want to make a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And, but they were like, you don't want to be on the floor of the commodity exchange. It is a, it's a really a doggy dog eat dog world down there and very physical besides just, you know, a lot more physical than the stock exchange. And so I said, okay, but I, you know, I got interested and intrigued in wall street. So that's when I started really looking to get a job on wall street. I wasn't, I was very good at numbers, but that wasn't my passion. I didn't even like financials, but I I wanted to make money. <laughs> so I got a job at EF Hutton and Company, if you remember them. Uh-huh. And at, at the time, they were like, you know, the Goldman Sachs of today. And I found a great position on the floor that allowed me to get noticed. And I basically just said, this is what I want to do. And I was my, the little girl from Brooklyn that said, okay, men don't scare me and I'm going to stand up and I'm going to do what I need to do. And, and I did. And within six months, I got my first promotion. I ultimately became a, a vice president for EF Hutton and Company. I had several positions. I was the first female to have the position. I was working with the boys club. I was working you know, in the Atlantic region, in Manhattan, with all the high-end brokers. I was a regional product uh, manager. And most of, every single product manager prior to me was a successful stockbroker that they were saying, you're really good at this product. So we're going to, we're going to make you, make you train all the other brokers in the region and give you some extra money. I was the only person that was not a broker that came from that. I was the only female that ever had that position and, and things were going great. And then actually the stock market crashed. So I've had two major (laughs) tragedies kind of happen from that stance of uh, really defining my life. And, you know, I went through several stockbrokers after that, but it was mergers and acquisitions season. And it was just, you know, Thompson McKinnon, Smith Bonney, Prudential Beige. They were just, we were just dropping like flies, major, major companies. And, And that's when I realized I had to do something else to make money. I didn't want to move to go like my bosses were moving to Chicago to work at different exchanges. 
and and I became uh, the salesperson. And that's when I, I actually got introduced to direct sales in 1989. And, and I built a direct sales team. But then, you know, issues happened with direct sales and multi-level marketing back then. And I, for 10 years, I was just going back and forth between corporate America and then back to Wall Street and back to trying to work on my own because I really, I couldn't make the six figures on my own like I was doing in corporate. And so every time I, I, I was getting broke, I was forced to go back to Wall Street and, you know, make some good money. But then every time, I always say every time they pissed me off uh, working for corporate America, I would try to go back on my own again. So I was a mm-hmm. seesaw battle for about 10 years. And then I got the opportunity to work with and build with other successful brokers, a our own hedge fund. And it was a stock trading firm. And I became the principal, registered principal for E-Trade because uh, mm. we grew from five traders to a hundred traders. and mm-hmm. So we became, uh, I became, that was a registered principal for E-Trade and that's where I was until uh, 9-11. Wow. So you were on your way to work the morning of September 11th. You hadn't actually gotten to Manhattan when you saw the first plane hit the World Trade Center. Take us back to that day and what you experienced. Yeah, it was, you know, as we all know, it was that beautiful crystal blue sky day. Uh, and it was the beginning of September when everyone's coming back from vacation and going back to school, like the beginning of, of public school system, beginning of going back to college. And so the traffic was really, really intense, which was fortunate for many of us, not just me, because it, it, it helped us to be late, which was a good mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, but as I was running late to work, you know, I, it was one of those days where I was starting to think like, there's got to be a better way. This is, this is crazy. I can't be doing this because at this point I'm in my forties and I had two toddlers and mm. you know, so I had my kids late in life and I'm like, what am I doing? And why am I doing this? And you know, why am I even going back to work? And, and, and I was just, I was going back for the money again. And, and then we, as I got out of my car, cause we park on Jersey city and we take the ferry, it's a five minute ferry to go across the river. As I get out of the car and getting on the ferry, we all, there was about 10 of us and we all witnessed the first plane hit and, but it was on the reverse side. So we thought it was an accident. Mm-hmm. So, you know, we all proceeded to get on the boat. <laughs> we went right into it and I actually called my office and got through and they, they, they knew the building shook, um, but they didn't know why it wasn't even on CNN yet because oh. I mean, it was like seconds later. So I called cause I called work immediately. And um, when I got off the boat, it was it was starting to become it was like kind of like more of a mayhem. And I bumped into my secretary, whose uh, sister worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, which was that firm mm-hmm. that was on 106 floor yeah. that lost pretty much almost everyone. And I was consoling her. And as I was consoling her, we heard a loud noise. Somebody grabbed my arm and said, run. And that's when the second plane just started running, just started heading towards us. We could see it. And it was the first time that everybody could see that it was a major airline. And mm. that's the moment that we all knew that this is terror. This is not an accident. And that's yeah. when, you know, mayhem broke out. And that's when panic, you know, uh, you know, everybody started to panic and started to run for their life and just started to, to run. And I worked with family members. I worked with my brother, my brother-in-laws. I had friends. We, I, My boat was right across the river. So... I knew I was right. I knew my boat was only five minutes away. So instead of getting on the boat to, for me to head back home, I stayed back and was trying to find my family. I was climbing park benches. The phones weren't working. I was really just trying to, to find my family and tell them, come with me. You know, I have a way out. And uh, so we were, uh, a whole bunch of people were on the dock at that point. The dock wasn't, it was really more of a barge at that time. Because mm-hmm. this wasn't like the biggest uh, docking station for the boats, unlike you know some of the others around Wall Street, and it started to really it, it started to rock fiercely. It's we all started to panic, and uh, the people were panicking because there were different boats going to different places. And so then I finally said, "Well, maybe I should catch the next boat," and and luckily I did because um, I didn't know that that was going to be the last boat out. Because as soon yeah. as I got to the other side, the first building fell. 
Yeah, and, well, I was just going to ask. So the buildings hadn't fallen by then. You just knew that that the planes had flown in. <clears throat> I don't think anybody was expecting the towers to collapse. No. Uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, I was watching it on TV and I saw it happen behind Matt Lauer. I was watching the Today Show and I saw what looked like the, the building falling and I was like, did that building just fall? Like, it, I was incredulous. I thought, oh my gosh, I'm seeing things. Do you know? Yeah. It was it was just uh, amazing to witness that. Um, and luckily, like I said, if I would have been in the dust if I had not gotten on that last boat. So, you know, I let, I think, two boats of mine go by and several other boats were coming in. So this was, you know, almost an hour of letting boats come and go. And mm -hmm. um, I was fortunate that I got that last boat out. Very fortunate. Very fortunate. Yeah. Well, once you were safely away from the city, how were you feeling? I, I think I would probably be in a state of shock. I think I was in a state of shock because it was a ghost town on the other side. Everybody the abandoned. The buildings were already abandoned and nobody was around. There was not a soul around. It was it was like Twilight Zone, to be honest with you. And I was still determined, though, to you know, to see if I could do something and maybe I should, I was like thinking, should I wait to see family if not? But then what, you know, with the building falling, I just realized at that point just to go to my car. And once I, when I went into my car and put the radio on, that's when I heard about the Pentagon. That's when I started to panic. Mm -hmm. I didn't, up until then I was pretty calm. I was cool. I was collected. But then when I, when I heard the Pentagon and like, this is going all over, I was like, I need to get out of here. Yeah. And um, and as soon as I pulled away, the second tower fell and, and I saw it fall in my rear view, rear view mirror. And even I was, I managed to get on a highway that nobody was on. I don't know how I got on. It was literally, it was closed the other way because they were already starting to shut everything down. Mm. So that they were like, you know, kind of quarantining, you know, the, the island. Mm. And. Um, but I managed to get on it and I was the only car on it. It was just an eerie, weird feeling. And now I was just really wanted to get home to my family and get to my kids and, and, and get to the daycare. Um, when I got to the daycare, it, it was literally because I got on the highway so fast, it was, I think, 11 o'clock. And so where most people that were down on there on 9-11 took, my, my brother took them 12 hours to get home. And I was able to pick up my kids at 11 a.m. And I just walked in and told them I just came from there. They were like in shock. Like, how are you even here? So yeah. God was just with me and blessed and like that, that whole way. But, um, you know, it was, it was just very strange. Just yeah. Very so, so was everyone in your family okay? The people in your office, everyone got out all right? Everyone did get out okay. Um, yeah. So we were... You know, everybody's got their own little different stories, but we um, we are okay. Thank you. Awesome. So, did you wake up the next morning like thinking I'm? I just had the worst dream. Like, did it seem real to you? No, I don't think it did. I um, I woke up in the middle of the night with the from the the loud sound of the airplane. It just mm. you know startled me out of my sleep. So I had a nightmare that night. And I, I was just so, just so, I was just more in, I think I was just more engrossed in what was going on with everyone else and all the, and everyone who, you know, hearing like some people that I knew and, uh, you know, worried about friends and that I really wasn't thinking about me at all. I was yeah. just engrossed in the whole situation of the whole country. Yeah. So I think that's where I, I kind of just, you know, really more or less focused myself on. But yeah. So did you did you know people who didn't make it out? A few, yes. Yeah. And you know, and my husband had some friends, and then all my friends had friends. So there's every everywhere you went, I went through several, several um, um, weeks. You know, in a week or two after that. Uh, my secretary's sister was one of them, was the first one. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it was a very solemn couple of weeks and hearing different people and then hearing, you know, someone that you didn't know and you did know years back and now you heard they're on the list. And it was just, 
yeah, it was just yeah. a tough time with that. But my business now, I had a stock trading uh, business, and I'm the branch manager and the re- this the registered twenty four. We had to get back in action as soon as the stock market opened up, and the stock market opened up pretty rapidly after that because it had to. And my building was um, where the commodity exchange is, so that had to be opened. So, because I was the I was the building right next door. I wasn't actually in the towers. My office. We were right next door, and that building um, was 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 safe because it was the there was a building, two buildings in front of it that kind of blocked my building from getting destroyed. That we couldn't go back to open up the commodity exchange. So we did open up the exchange, and we were the only building open because of it because it was the commodity exchange i mean gold and silver being traded it had to be open so we were only allowed to get off the boat secret service was there for the first week and we were just allowed to go in one door one door only they locked all the other doors and we were basically i felt like a prisoner you could just walk in the one door and walk out the door you couldn't even walk a little bit to the left to take a look at it that the secret service would come up to you and be like what's going on so it was very scary uh, moments because you're hearing all this like you know all these scares that was mm-hmm. going to come and the following week that whole week like every time I got home I would have my my throat was sore and then they started putting a an air quality meter on our floor to kind of prove to us that the air quality is fine and I'm like how could that be fine when I have a sore throat every day I get home and then we had one day we had a scare again and and I just said, you know, myself and actually another worker, um, we that manager that's running the office, we just looked at each other. I'm like, this is not worth it. <laughs> this is not worth mm-hmm. it. And I don't care. I'm leaving. And we left and we went home. And I was mm-hmm. like, I mean, I'm staying because it's my job. And, you know, and I mean, it was my it was my business, too. I mean, I was a partner, but it was why am I, you know, now I'm like risking my life over yeah. over an income <laughs> you know so it really started weighing on my definition of success and what's worth it and what's not worth it and then and actually what started to happen after that was even locally there was a Staten Island there was a ferry crash that uh four or five people died on and mm. it was a, a brother-in-law of somebody from my son's school the secretary's yeah. brother-in-law, he was one that passed away. So, so my, my son's elementary school had to deal with that. And so my four-year-old son who's in pre-K when we were having dinner every night, he would start saying, when we say our prayers, he was saying, thank God mommy didn't die when the towers fell and the boat crashed. Oh. I was listening to this every day and then getting up and going to work the next day and actually looking at my children, seeing fear on their face that like, is mommy going to come home? Because that's the stories they're hearing. You know, everybody went to work that day. Their parents went to work that day and didn't come home. Yeah. And, and um, so I had my children had that fear on their face. So, so all these things, that's when I started being like, all right, this, this is not right. This is, this is not, this is not the way it's supposed to be. This mm-hmm. You know, what am I, what am I actually doing? You know, is money, what's, what's money? Money is not, money is not worth it. It's not worth it. Right. <laughs> yeah. So you started thinking about it, but you still were kind of like, well, business as usual, um, you know, doing the same kind of work. And it wasn't really until years later that you really dug deep into yep how this event and how this experience had profoundly affected you. Yes. Cause you know, like I said, I was, it was my business and I was the only 24. So I had to go back to work and we had the lifestyle accustomed to making my income. We had a mortgage and kids and everything to follow. So you can't just walk away. Mm-hmm. And so it was more of like trying to save our business and going back in 2005 you know, because the stock market changed and the trading changed. So my, my, and the traders, I couldn't get the traders to even come back to work. So, you know, the business just faulted and, you know, we had to shut down the ones. It was a multi-million dollar business that 
you know, in four years, we had to shut down. Mm. And, and that's when I was like, okay, what am I going to do? And how am I going to do it? And I actually, so I said, I'm going to try on go back on my own again. And I went back to direct sales because I said, all right, well, at least let me have some freedom. I'll be home with the kids and I'll give up the money, but I'll going to shoot for the freedom. But it, um, you know, when things weren't going well, I was really started to, I actually was the darkest time of my life those next few years. And, and then just when, you know, things were really like at a, at a dark point, I, I was also a, a uh, like a facilitator for a women's networking group mm-hmm. and they were uh, producing a book and they were publishing a book on empowering transformations for women and and they wanted me to be a part of the book and I was I wasn't in the right frame of mind and I also don't think I'm the greatest writer so my self-doubt kept on saying no but my intuition and my gut kept on saying yes I need to do this I need to do this you know, logic was saying, oh, be an author. It's good for your business. It's good because now I'm trying to build my direct sales business. Gives you credibility. But, you know, I had so many fears on it. But I, something came over me and just said yes. So I, I made that commitment. I said yes. I mean, I've said yes to a lot of scary things. But, and some always, some worked out and some didn't work out. But this one changed my life completely. And... Um, what happened was she knew I was a 9-11, you know, survivor. I mean, I experienced 9-11 that day. I don't want to call myself a survivor. I wasn't in the building, but I was, I was in the midst of it. But so that's just me, this, this strong, you know, Brooklyn type of girl that no, it was okay. It was no big deal. Right. And she wanted me to write about it. I'm like, I don't know. I don't know what to write about it. There's nothing to write about it. I was, yeah, I was there. I experienced it and that was it. But to, you know, to be integrity with her, I said, okay, I'll, I'll look into it and see if there was any lessons learned. And that's the first time I recognized after doing this deep work, that's the first time I recognized that I did not run away when everybody else was running away and that I was trying to stay behind and, and try to help people. And at first I was like, okay, I would make a great EMT. So, you know, <laughs> um, that would be great. But it just made me realize that it was my God given gift to serve people and help people. And, and just when I was being negative on myself that, you know, nothing's going to work out for me and I'm just going to, I'm just as great. I'm good at sales and that's it. And I'm just a, someone who can convince people to give them money for things they don't want. I mean, I really was in a dark place <laughs> thinking that even my sales was bad. And then I really don't care. And I'm just really good at sales. So I'm just, I make people think I'm a good server. And then I realized, I'm like, wow, I was trying to save people that day before saving myself. I'm like, okay, that does say something about me. So it was just one of those moments where you really get to know who you really are. And it was like a pivoting yeah. moment in my life of like, wow, you know, I, I am strong. I am brave. And the only thing that's been stopping me has really been my own negative head trash and my own misbeliefs of what success is and what, you know, what we need to be to be successful. And, um, and then from there, that's when I just realized that um, nobody could shake me. Nobody could shake what I, who I am and what I want to do. And it just gave me that whole new definition of what success is. And and then, you know, so from that, from writing the story, from getting that confidence of getting back in there and the lessons I learned from that, it allowed me to, to really be more powerful than I've ever been. It allowed me to look back at my past and see what I was like when things were going well and what I was mm-hmm. like when things weren't going well. And I was able to like really tap into my strengths and my values Mm-hmm. And, and to work from there and to build my business from that perspective. And I actually changed my business, but I think, um, do you want to, to, to know about that? How I changed my career? Yeah, we're, we're, we're going to take a short break. Okay. And then when we come back, we'll talk about Getsy Gal, Gutsy Gals Get More. Awesome. 
Have you ever asked yourself this question? Why is it so hard to make a buck? <laughs> I know I have. Hi, I'm Sandra Yancey, founder and CEO of eWomen Network. What I have discovered after going from the brink of bankruptcy to running a multi-million dollar award-winning business is this. You can't build a million dollar dream hanging around minimum wage mindsets. My mission is one million women entrepreneurs generating $1 million in annual revenue. So here's what I've done. I've created the mother of all entrepreneur success programs that you can access online on your time. It's called Monetize Me Now. It's a seven module online course that is 100% my success formula, covering mindset, mission, management, motivation, marketing, and measure. Come on, take my hand and I'll show you the way to learn to earn flowing revenue for your business. Visit monetizemenow.com for details. Thanks for joining us. Back now with your host, Kate Fessler. Welcome back. You are listening to Change, Redefining Success. I'm your host, Kate Fessler, and today I'm talking with Ro couture Desaro. Ro, you are a gutsy gal. You've been through a lot. There are numerous career paths you could have taken once you realized you needed a change. How did you settle on what you're doing now? What did you want to bring to people? I I was feeling a calling that there's something more for me that I was just losing interest in what I was doing. And I felt this, you know, my intuition was just tugging at me. There's something more, there's something more. And but what I did was I was 55 at the time and and I just had this feeling that, you know, I think I'm going to need professional help to figure out what I need to do and what I want to do because I'm getting too old to get it wrong. Mm, yeah. <laughs> I, I was like, I just didn't want to get it wrong again. And I knew, but I knew it wasn't to follow the money and I knew it wasn't to follow the freedom. I knew by this point that this is, I need to find out what my passions are. This is, if I'm going to be happy, I need to know why was I put on earth and why am I here and what do I need to do? And then that's when I started working with a coach and I found a coach who was fabulous, who was able to take my marketing hat off, take my sales hat off and, and look at me and look at who I am and what is my message? What do I stand for? And, you know, who do I want to serve? And so when I looked at from that perspective, it ironically, it came out exactly what I was thinking, but she did it in a way that she kind of like did it sneakily, <laughs> <laughs> and um, which was great because that gave me such validation that, and this is something I wanted to do in the nineties when coaching first was born, I wanted to be a motivational speaker. I wanted to be a coach and a consultant, and I was too fearful back then to do it. So I didn't, I thought the direct sales would have been in, it was just an easy way to coach my own team. That's the, what the story I was telling myself. And so when I did this program and I got that validation, it was just like, wow, I've been empowering women my entire life. Ever since I broke those glass ceilings on Wall Street, people, women have been looking up to me. I've always had this strong, you know, not, not, not like a feminism, but just a strong, strong belief that women can do this. Women can do anything they want to do as long as they put their mind to it. I was able to have a huge Wall Street career, raise my kids young and have a lifestyle, have a life. And, and I was never in overwhelming stress. And what I was noticing is that, but now years later, I'm noticing that the women today who are starting businesses and having children are so in overwhelm and so stressed out and doing too much. And I started really looking at them and started seeing that they were just, they're trying to build a business the masculine way. They're trying to build a business based on what society is telling them they need to do and how they think they need to be. And they're not doing it with their feminine values. They're, they're, they're putting their feminine values down as meaningless and putting the masculine values as this is how I need to be in order to be successful. And when I started seeing that and seeing how women were just not showing up as who they are and they weren't showing up, they were playing small and they were afraid to even to even believe in whatever idea they had was a powerful idea. And, and that's when I was like, 
I got that little let that little girl like I was when I had that vision of Wall Street. Like I got to do something about this. <laughs> mm-hmm. This is this is this is not right. And you know, so that's when I started my gutsy gals um, get more business. But it's and I say it's gutsy gals with a heart because it's about building a business of the woman's way with your feminine values. And so it's, that's going to be profitable and sustainable and not compromising the rest of your life in order to build this business. It's not about working more. It's about working. It's, it's not even smarter. Smarter, smarter. harder. (laughs) Yeah. It's really about working in your zone of genius. Yeah. Well, there's been, you know, I remember back in the eighties and there was the whole dress for success thing. Right. And you had to kind of, look like the men because you had to fit in with the men because like you said it was mostly men who were doing the work that a lot of women wanted to be doing and in order to um to achieve those goals you had to kind of maybe massage the way you presented yourself to the world to to not rock the boat so much Um, and over time that's changed obviously uh, in, in a good way Okay. Uh, but I think a lot of those, um, a lot of those ideas that it's a man's world, and in order to succeed in a man's world, you have to be more masculine. I think that's still a pervasive belief. It is, unfortunately, uh, starting to change, but not fast enough. Uh, but to, I, I would love to share something with you. And the reason why I know about doing it the feminine way works so well is because that's what I did in the 80s. I refused to dress like the man. Um, E.F. Hutton had the, you know, the almost like, you know, the code, the dress code of the pinstripe navy blue suits. And the women were wearing the navy blue suits with the white shirts and those odd, awful ties that. Those are coming back, you know. Oh my God. Blouses. (laughs) I will not be wearing one. I totally would not be wearing one. (laughs) And, and I refused, I refused. And when I got, I remember when I got my very first bonus, it was like, so nice to get these like, cause wall street, I had my, my base salary was really small, but everything was based on performance and bonuses. And so at the end of the year, I would always get this like lump sum of money. I went to the tailor store within EF Hutton and picked out a pale yellow silk, uh, linen to make me a suit and I wore it with a fuchsia top <laughs> mm, that sounds lovely and, and I got noticed mm-hmm. and I I refused to be like a man but yet we when we would have the branch manager meetings and would be sitting there at the end of the meetings and they're playing poker and they're smoking cigars I was able to play poker and beat them and smoke cigars alongside with them so here I am very feminine but yet I could keep up with them. Mm-hmm. And, you know, we would play pool and I would beat them in pool because I was an athlete. <laughs> and and they were like, whoa. And, and I was able to put, you know, I was putting men in their place in a nice, kind way where the women, it, that the few women that were there were doing it. And this was before um, uh, sexual. Uh, sexual harassment. Harassment. <laughs> This was yeah. the word wasn't even in existence yet. Right. The the women were doing it like, you know, like that really bad feminist, like, you know, angrily and like yelling and, 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 and that turned men off. I was doing it with kindness and compassion. And I was like, basically, if they came on to me, I'm like, you couldn't handle me. Like, <laughs> you know, these little things like that. So I've learned that we could be compassionate we could be kind we could be our feminine values but yet be firm and unshakable mm-hmm. and yeah i think firm and kind and compassionate and standing in your own power beats angry and uh confrontational yeah. every time <laughs> yeah and the men loved it and then i found out that men wanted to work with women because they love women so they they didn't mind working with women they just didn't want to work with women who had a chip on their shoulder and yeah. so you know and that's how we and that still holds true today for even how we need to hold ourselves and hold as women and 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 run a business you know we could do it with compassion but we just need to be firm and create our boundaries 
and stick to our boundaries. And we teach people how to treat us and what they could get away with, and what they can't get away with. But we could do it with kindness and with mm-hmm. a big smile. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Smiles go a long way. <laughs> Smiles do go a long way. Yeah. What have you learned through working with the women who come to you? What are the biggest challenges? And, and obviously, you know, younger women today have different perspectives on things. What are the biggest challenges that are facing women who are trying to build businesses in the in their own unique way? I well, I, well the first thing I've learned that women are amazing. Women have amazing ideas. They are smart. They're incredible. They are, they're really great at what they do. What their challenges are is their perception of that. They don't perceive it. Mm -hmm. They don't perceive that they are as great as they are. They don't see their own brilliance. And the other challenge I see is letting go of control. And Mm -hmm. a lot of us have control issues and I'm included in this. So I saw it in myself. And it was really is the control is protection for rejection and protection for fear of being rejected. And so we want to be in control of the situation and we get into this like strong. And that's when sometimes we could get into that shadow side of not being kind, not being nice because nice girls finish last was right. how we were taught. And mm-hmm. so we try to, you know, to be the mean and that doesn't work either. So it's surrendering and uh to the control and really recognizing when to use their masculine energy and when to use their feminine energy and Mm -hmm. that their feminine energy is powerful uh so that's a challenge is that is their own belief system thinking that you know when i see a woman crying that tells me they're having a deep conversation and it's emotional and it's meaningful that's all that means Mm -hmm. it doesn't mean it's weak it just means it's meaningful it meant something, and that's why they're emotional about it. And there's nothing wrong with that because meaningful conversations is where the world is going to be a better place. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. So, yeah, those are the those are some of the main issues: is perception, belief, their belief systems, control, surrendering, thinking they have to just keep working harder um, instead of just working in their own genius and their own value and sticking to their values that they're worth yeah. it. They're worth yeah, it. It's that they're worth it. I agree. It's. I, I think what I see the most is that people, women specifically, don't believe in their own power, in their mm-hmm. own brilliance, and in their and they don't feel that they're worthy of success. It's true. And we have. I mean, there are studies to back this up, where you could ask women of you know, like college age women or young women and young men of. Do they think they could hold hold this position and job? And the men overcompensate for what they what they really are capable of doing and say they can do everything. And the women underestimate mm-hmm. what they can do. And yet more women are graduating college with, with, with better grades. And when you look at companies, companies that employ women at higher levels across the board in all the different departments, they are the most productive companies out there. Mm-hmm. So it's not that women are better. It's that we need both. We need the women and the men. And we both bring talents and gifts to the table. And we, when you work together as a team, you are a stronger foundation and a powerful company when you do that. Yes, it's like the yin and the yang, right? One is one it by itself is not as strong as both together. Yeah, I mean, and that's why even when I was young, I'd be like, no, we're we're not going to get better by man bashing. There's nothing, men have their issues. I mean, society made them be the opposite, you know, of being too strong and they have too much pressure on them and they don't like that either. But it's just different. You know, we have different pressures put on both of us, but it's not that there's, you know, we need to bash them. It's, that's not going to, that's not going to change the world. No. No, it isn't. We all need to learn how to think a little bit differently. Yes. And I'm married so tell us about- years, so I, I, I definitely love men. So- <laughs> <laughs> Good for you. That's that's a pretty big milestone these days. So tell me about some of your programs. How do you help these women uh, overcome the challenges, uh, get in touch with who they are, and redefine success for themselves? 
I've com I combine what I found is women learn in community. Women learn um, together so well. Transformation, deep transformation happens when women learn live uh, in community together. So I do a lot of live events, even though online is supposed to be where we need to go. I go online, but I, I even use Zoom video conference. If I have to do online, I'll do a video conference where we can still break out and, and see each other's eyes and, and speak and connect with one another. But I've been hosting and facilitating women's circles where we get to do the deep transformation work where they could be seen, they could be heard, they could be respected, they could be loved because that's when their truth can come out. And that's where we could even, you know, almost be where our sisterhood is unified because women need to um, trust one another in order for us to be better as well. So I do a lot of work with that, you know, self-love, self-worth, self-forgiveness, self-acceptance. So I build that foundation that way. And then once they're open to that, once they have that calm inner confidence with themselves and they can build that self-worth, then we could go into more of the business type coaching that they need to be able to put the programs together to learn who they are. I have a feminine, uh, feminine uh, business archetype assessment that we take. I also am a core values um, index certified um, practitioner. I've also done conversational intelligence where I bring in neuroscience. So it's, it's really combining the neuroscience and the woo-woo together. And, and then from there, they could create a business and create marketing strategies that are alignment with who they are, not a marketing strategy that somebody's telling them they need to do this in order to build their business successful. Because there's, there's a zillion ways we can market our business, but you need to find the way that is in alignment with who you are, that you're going to feel comfortable in going out there and doing it. Because now when you, when you say, when you're marketing and like for women from a place of service, you're not going to feel salesy. You're not going to be, right. Oh, I can't do this. You're going to, you're going to, you're going to be able to market your business from your heart. And when you market it from your heart, you're able, and you market it from contribution, you're able to take yourself out of the equation. And all of a sudden you, you are a stronger gutsy gal. Mm -hmm. You know, that's where you find your inner gutsy gal. It's you get yourself out of your head, into your gut, into your int intuition and into your heart. So, so a lot of my uh, coaching programs are how to create programs um, that way, how to figure out what your signature system is, who you are, what's your message, get clarity there and get really clarity on who you serve as well. Mm hmm. Excellent advice. Yes, I, I went through all of that myself. And, and I, you know, with the work that I do, I always say, I wish there was someone like me <laughs> who could have helped me with it. And uh, I wish there was someone like you when I was going through all that, too. Yeah. You know, I was just, you know, I was fortunate that uh, I don't know what made me so authentic when I was at a young age. Uh, but it, it helped because now I could, you know, I could look back and say, that's when I was powerful. When I was listening to, you know, others and letting others' ideas, you know, change my ideas. Uh, those were the times when things didn't work out. It's right. me. You know, you got to find your own style. I'm not saying, I mean, I'm, I'm, the experts are great, but not everybody's system is meant for everyone. So you got to right. find what's in alignment with who you are. And, and then in your style and go that way and not just throw dots at this at the wall and try everybody's different program because they were successful at it. Right. And it's similar to, you know, when you're chasing the money, if you think, yeah. oh, this is the thing that's going to make, you know, my business fly. Well, if it's not something that, like you said, is in alignment with who you are and what your heart says, then it's not going to work for you. Yeah. I mean, I even thought, uh, and I've changed myself in these last few years, you know, I was going to be, I love to speak. So I like to be on stage. I was going to be like, you know, one of these like three day events, you know, fill the room up with like three to 500 people. And, but then, um, you know, I started to realize my husband's retired. I'm, I just turned 60. I'm like, 
that would take a lot of work to do that. I'd have to travel the country to put, fill up the seats. And it's just a lot, a lot of work. I'm like, do I really want to do that? And mm -hmm. when I really started looking, I'm like, yeah, if I was 40, I would definitely want to do that because I like it. But does it fit into my lifestyle right now? Does it fit into right. my goals of my personal life? And when I took in my personal life, I realized that there wasn't a match. So now what I do is I do high-end retreats and I'll do a, like, I'll do a retreat. I'm, I'm planning a retreat right now. The woman have a retreat in January. So I could be smaller group of people. I could do three days, but it's not where I have to go out there and fill 500 seats. It's like, so it's not going to be as much time consuming as, right. as that. And so that will fit my lifestyle. Plus my husband and I will get to travel. And right there you go if i have a re retreat in costa rica then he could come with me and we could go on vacation afterwards so like okay now that fits my lifestyle <laughs> right right well you know and that's the first thing that i ask my clients is like what do you want your life to look like because everything else has to align with that so if you're thinking like you said i you know i used to want to do this but i really want my life to look like this well that's not really in alignment so how do we massage that so that you can do what you want to do in alignment with the life that you want to be leading. Right. Absolutely. I mean, it's my personal life is just as important as my business life and my family life is just as important as all of that. And it's, it, it's all got to work together in unison. And if it's not, it's not worth it. Absolutely. We're almost out of time. So I have to ask you, what is one book or resource besides your own that changed your life that you would recommend to people? Oh, you know, there's been so many. <laughs> well, you could name maybe two. <laughs> well, you know, Think and Grow Rich, believe it or not, has been a major book. I actually did Masterminds with Think and Grow Rich book years ago. So I really, I deciphered that book. So I, that's probably a book that I've read you know, 10 times plus mm -hmm. you know, that I've read. And I've actually recently read uh, my pastor from my, the church by me, um, the Life Christian Church. He wrote uh, Live 10, where he wrote a book. He's also a leadership expert. So he wrote a book on, um, you know, 10 leadership traits from, from a, a Christian standpoint. And like that to me was an eye opener as well where I could even bring in my own faith into what I'm doing. Mm -hmm. It's called live so, 10. Is that what you said? It's called live 10. It. Yes. Live 10 jumpstart the best version of your life. And the author is Terry, a Terry, a Smith. Okay. So how can people this find out more about I'm you? Sure. How can people find out more about you and your Gutsy Gals programs? My, I give my, my website. My, my website is my name, which is rocouturedesaro.com. So it'd be R-O-E. I spell row with an E. Row and couture is C-O-U-T-U-R-E and Desaro is D-E-S-A-R-O.com. And on my website, there is even um, a free program, a free ebook with some audios that they could sign up for as well. And, you know, so they can find out some of my programs there and they want to email me. It's my email is the same as row at rowcouturedesaro.com. And I, I even have, I can do a nice, um, I could give, have something to give away if you'd like. Would you like that? Sure. Okay. Everybody so likes free stuff. <laughs> yeah. It's a, um, it's a coaching program that they can do. And if they email me that they got it from your show, I will even give them a 30-minute uh, complimentary consultation with that coaching program. So any, what questions that they have on it and how to apply it to their business, I'd be happy to do that. And it's, they can find it. It's, um, it's a Gutsy Gals Guide to Courage, Risks, um, and Rewards. And they can find that at gutsygalsgetmore.com. Okay. Well, that's very generous of you. Thank you. 
I hope people will take advantage of that. I hope they do. Well, row couture. Oh, I have to ask you about the couture because, of course, that's uh, high-end, personally made clothing, right? Is that your maiden name? That is my maiden name. That's why I still have it because it's a great maiden name. <laughs> it is a great name. There are people that think that that's part of my business name. And I'm like, no, I was born with that name. <laughs> awesome. Yeah. My You're father is uh, French. Lucky, <laughs> yeah. My, my father's French. My mother's Italian. So growing up in Brooklyn, I would say I was a French Guinea. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I shortened Rosemary to Roe just to kind of compensate for the long last name. <laughs> oh, yeah, Rosemary. That sounds very Italian. Well, thank you so much. Roe Couture de Soro, 9-11 survivor. I think you have earned the right to claim that title, even though you were in the building. And Crusader for the Gutsy Gal Life. Thank you so much for your time today. Thank you. This has been fun. This has been really, really nice. It was, it was great sharing this time with you. Thank you for having me again. My pleasure. I hope you enjoyed today's program. I still remember that day vividly, and I was on the West Coast watching it unfold on TV. It's something I don't think any of us is ever going to forget. And it's something I hope none of us ever has to live through again. I hope you'll take advantage of Roe's generous offer. Go to gutsygalsgetmore.com and then email Roe at roe at roecouturedesaro.com and let her know you got it from this program. She'll give you a complimentary 30-minute consultation. If you have something to add to the conversation, please leave a comment on the show page or on my Facebook page, First Class Life Solutions. If you'd like to be a guest on my podcast, please click on the link at the bottom of the show page, fill out the survey, and I'll be in touch. On my website, FirstClassLifeSolutions.com, you can find recommendations of my guests and links to previous podcasts, too. Next week, my guest will be Sharon Saylor. Sharon has been affectionately dubbed the Difficult People Whisperer. She teaches courageous conscious communication skills and is one of the leaders for body language, according to GlobalGurus.com. Sharon's a published author of seven books. A perennial favorite is What Your Body Says and How to Master the Message. And if that's not enough, she's the host of the Autoimmune Hour on Life Interrupted Radio. Her first children's book, Pinky Chenille and the Rainbow Hunters, just launched and has become an international bestseller on Amazon already. I hope you'll join us. Until then, here's to your authentic first-class life. I'm Kate Fessler. Thanks for listening to Change, Redefining Success. is the EWN Podcast Network. I'm Sandra Yancey, CEO and founder of eWomen Network. We invite you to listen to all of our EWN Podcast hosts at ewnpodcastnetwork.com.